open to Luke. And actually, if you want to put, like, open up to Luke and then put a finger in Psalm 95. And we'll get there in a second. How does everybody feel about reading that passage? Everybody? Yeah, pretty, pretty easy? Nothing challenging? Everybody doing okay? You know, there's a, there's a quote that was taught to me by a mentor of mine, but that is a quote from a, a, a business guru. A guy who wrote books on leadership. His name is Max Dupree, I think is his name, and here's the quote. It is this, the first job of a leader is to define reality. Seems like a lofty thing to do, to define reality, but it happens all the time. I have a son who works at Panda Express because I'm telling a story about him. I owe him money. Um, that's, that's how it works, and I'll, I'm good for it, I promise. Um, but uh, on his shirt and on the wall when you walk into Panda Express, it says, make happy. And I tease him every time he's in his, and I'm so proud of him, he's doing great, good, you know, hang, hold down a job for years and years at this point. Um, but he walks out of the house with his red shirt, and I go, hey man, make happy, right? This is a vision casting mission statement that is on the shirt of everybody who works at Panda Express, because the, somebody at Panda Express wanted to define reality, that when people walk in here, this is what we want the outcome to be right? We are not the soup Nazi. We, if they want a little extra orange chicken, man, give them a little extra orange chicken, right? We want to make happy. It is all over. I bet we could go store by store, commercial by commercial, and we would be able to say what they are doing for me and trying to get me to understand why I need their product or service or whatever it is, is they're defining reality for me. And this is even something that we do around here. Does anybody know uh, the mission statement of our church? And, you know, I mean, in some ways you go, the mission statement is right here. Like all 66 books of it, this is the mission statement. But as we have boiled it down to like, hey, what could we put on a t-shirt? What is it that when somebody goes, hey, what's your church about? What we would say, anybody know? Be loved and worship and follow, grow, and go. And follow, grow, and go are kind of just explanatory. Really, we would say, you want to know what it is like to be a, a person of Christ on mission with Christ? It is this. Be loved. That defines us. It is, it is what we are before we do anything. We are loved by God. And then also that is our mission. We see love as not only the thing we receive, but the thing we do. It's the thing that we are about. And then everything we do, whether it's how you brush your teeth in the morning to how you deal with that email that, that shocked you and seemed really mean, or what you do um, at, the, at the gas station when somebody says, hey man, how are you? However you react, whatever you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your cash, how you spend your relationships. Everything is an act of worship. That's how we've defined it. So this is us trying to define reality. What's it mean to be a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church? What's it, what, 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 are we, what are we about? That's what we're about. I was just taken this week reading this passage and, and kind of the realization that this is exactly what Jesus is doing is he gives this first part of this most important sermon. And I would, I would say that although this, this looks a lot like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, this is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, it's probably a different uh, event. In fact, I think what we're seeing here is Jesus, to use 
to use, I don't know, crass language, his stump speech. When Jesus gathers people and there are people listening, especially a crowd like this, this is what he says. Hey, 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 there's a traveling teacher. Come and let's hear the traveling teacher. This is what he says. As he wants to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God, as he wants to proclaim an invitation to every person to be in the kingdom of God, the question is, well, what's it like in the kingdom of God? We need somebody to define reality for us. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What does it mean when Jesus is your king? So, as we read this, we get to hear, if you're a professing Christian, we get to hear the king outline the reality, not just the ethic, but the entire reality of what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. It'll take us a few weeks to do, but Jesus on purpose starts with these startling, difficult, challenging words. Let's set the scene a little bit. The scene um, we've been building towards for a while, you've seen Jesus call disciples. Then last week we saw Jesus out of that larger group of disciples call the 12 that he would call apostles. We made the point last week to say it's funny, the disciples that we typically call disciples or these, the 12, you know, these apostles, they still don't do very much. It's still a call to watch Jesus. Jesus doesn't go, why don't you go out and tell people whatever you think? No, he says, hey, I'm going to call you to be the leadership team. I'm going to call you to be the ones who I'm going to send. And guess what? You're all going to die for this, right? One of you is not going to die as a martyr, but you will be boiled in oil and exile in the process. And so congratulations on the call to apostleship. And, but then he doesn't say, so now go, but rather he says, so now that you know that this is going to be what I want you to spend the rest of your life doing, why don't you sit down and listen along with the rest of the crowd? The 12 are part of the crowd. They're not doing anything, but they are there. And then you have the disciples that have become convinced of something. The disciples are those who have put themselves at Jesus' feet. And, you know, we have these categories of like saved and not saved, disciple, not a disciple. Those are fine. I don't think you can be a little bit saved. I think that it's important to have a moment where you completely give your life to Christ. And yet, as these people came to Christ, they, they didn't know a whole lot of what they were getting into. Like, let's remember that this is not like, you know, historical fiction. This is a real story about people who became Um, impressed isn't the right word, who became convinced by Jesus' actions that he was the Messiah or at least the rabbi worth following, and so they are following him. But they're brand new at this. They've been healed or their family has been healed. They're probably away from home and they're, they're disciples. They've started following this rabbi. And then you have this group of people that Luke calls the great multitude. And he says, in this great multitude, there are people from Judea and Jerusalem. What category of people are you thinking when you see Judea and Jerusalem? You're thinking about Jewish people. But not every Jewish person is um, exactly the same in their understanding and their feeling and their faithfulness. In the same way that we would say, man, there's like on-fire Christians, there's non-nominal Christians, there's backslidden Christians, there's Christians who get it, there's Christians who are mean and haven't figured that out. You know what I mean? Like the whole gamut of like when you become a Christian, you're still a person. 
You with me? And, and this is true in, uh, in Judea and Jerusalem as well. So there's a lot of different categories of Jewish people in the crowd. Probably some very devout who've been waiting for the Messiah their whole lives. Probably some who have been using their power and influence to oppress others. And, and they're here to make sure Jesus doesn't say anything that, you know, costs them money. And then it says there's people from Tyre and Sidon. Man, Tyre and Sidon's a kind of a complicated place. If you want to kill a couple hours just trying to be more, uh, have more questions at the end of it than you do at the beginning, go ahead and dig into Tyre and Sidon. Because Tyre and Sidon, it, 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 it should be Israel. It never really was Israel. It's kind of covenantal promise, never really got conquered. And at this point, what we could say of Tyre and Sidon is that these people who've come from Tyre and Sidon, it's very unlikely that they are following Yahweh, that they are waiting for the Messiah. These are Gentiles. These are people who, if you're a Jew looking for the Jewish Messiah and committed to, and you know, because the Jews are oppressed people at this point, that gives you a sense of like solidarity, like, like you might move from we hope the Savior comes to we hope our Savior comes and gets them. And then you have people, maybe you have come to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, and now you have people from Tyre and Sidon showing up and receiving the same healing you're receiving? Does that irritate you a little bit? It probably would. Or at least it would, you would ask questions about why is this possible? So in the group, this great multitude, you have faithful Jews, you have nominal Jews, and you certainly have Gentiles too. Here's the big idea as Luke sets this scene. This is representative of the whole world. You're in this crowd. Wherever you are today, faithfully following God, nominally following God, here because you have a spouse who's following God and they drag you to church on Sunday morning. Um, wherever you are, if you uh, are in, if you are not, if you are angry, if you are happy, wherever you are in your understanding of who Jesus is, you are represented sitting here as Jesus defines reality for what it means to be in the kingdom of God. You get to hear, along with everybody else, what it means to be a citizen with Jesus as your king. So why had this crowd come, come as we continue to set the scene? Well, the crowd came for two reasons, Luke says, to be healed and to hear Jesus talk. This, is, this might be an aside. I probably shouldn't spend too much time. But look, guys, what a, a wonderful, like, summary of ministry. You know what we should be a place is people who, who are attracted to us. Why? Because the pastor's so handsome, we're not going to get there. Like, that's not possible around here, right? But we could be a place where people get healed and where people hear the truth, right? This, we should be people of healing. Now you go, well, I can't be Jesus. Yeah, I know you can't be, but do you know him? Is the Holy Spirit involved in your life? Do you have the ability to be a source of healing for people? And you go, look, what are you talking about? I can do miracles and heal people. I don't know. Why don't you go do your best? Why don't you pray for folks? Why don't you help where you can? Why don't you, what's your heart broken for? You know, there's still, you know, the uh, Set Free Monterey Bay, the, uh, the folks around here that are uh, trying to solve human trafficking, they're still looking for volunteers. Like, where is it that we could be people of healing? And you go, why are we doing that? Because we think we're better, we have the answers. No, because Jesus did. He's our king. And he calls us to walk like him. 
So people are attracted because Jesus has something to offer that they need. And you think, what a terrible reason to come to Jesus just to get something. Well, but they're Gentiles. And Jesus is offering something that meets them where they are. I feel like so many times the church gets to the point where we go, people should uh, come to church, they should hear the truth, they should be Christians without getting anything in return. And you go, actually, what we're offering is the pearl of great price that you should sell everything to buy. What we're offering is actually the way to live the very best life full of love and joy and peace. So how do we communicate that to the world? Well, Jesus authenticated that message by healing folks. They came to be healed. If God wants to do a physical healing work in this church, we're not going to tell him he can't. But I would say that more likely for us, it's going to look like forgiveness instead of bitterness. For us, it's going to look like kindness instead of anger. For us, it's going to look like letting people be who they are, right where they are, and loving them in the name of Jesus, even if they're kind of broken in a mess that's how they'll find healing as they interact with us. So people come um, because they want to be healed and also because they want to hear. Um, so Jesus not only heals them, but he has something to say to them. And, and I wonder if we would take that seriously too and say, look, not only do we have to be a place where, where there's healing, where there's restoration, but we also have to be people who have answers, who actually know the path to love and joy and peace. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like to be able to give an answer for the reason that we believe, that we might not only be able to say following Jesus is the best way, but that we might be able, be able to articulate not only our own testimony, but we might be able to articulate why Jesus, following Jesus is the best way. That we actually know a better way to live. Like, is that arrogant to say that we know a better way to live? Only if you think to live better is to live exactly like you. But if we say, man, if you would deny yourself and follow Jesus, you'll experience love and joy. You'll experience peace. And we actually have something to say. People, it, it kind of makes me think, and again, I don't want to spend too much time here, but it kind of makes me think of all the things. You know, I was a youth pastor for, 30, uh, for 23 years. And all of the, you know, dorky stuff we do to attract kids, you know, which I think is good. Keep doing it. David, do dorky stuff to attract kids. Um, but all of the pizza nights and all of the, you know, all-nighters and all of the like, hey, there's this athlete who's going to speak and all of the stuff that you go, hey, it's going to be great. There's going to be pizza because food is love, right? That's a, so it's true. Um, but all that stuff, and I go, man, if all of that's a tool, that's wonderful. But if that's what we're hoping is the attraction, the church is just not going to do that as good as other entities in our culture. What, what's attractive to people is that it's a place of healing, and that we have something to say. That there's answers to, man, I think my life's a mess. Do you know a better way? And then most importantly, who did they come to see? Man, these, this multitude, they came to see Jesus full of power. How does, how does Luke say it? And the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. Man, I wonder if one of the big ideas that Luke wants us to know is that just after the disciples, um, these 12 
get called to be apostles, it's made very clear that nobody's coming to see them. You with me? That this needs to be a place, that your house needs to be a place where Christ is elevated above every human, above every program, above every model. Jesus, full of power. Luke says, power was coming out of him. I don't know what that means. I'm not exactly sure what that looked like, but it had to be great. Luke's big idea is that at the center of the universe, at the center of the kingdom of God, at the center of creation and time and space stands the king of power, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The God not only of the small band of disciples, but the God of Tyre and Sidon, the God of Jerusalem and Judea. That the God of Jerusalem and Judea is the same God as Tyre and Sidon. Did you put a finger over in, in uh, Psalm 95? Between Psalm 95, and there are other places we could go, but between Psalm 95 and Psalm 100, um, this is a little collection that we call the Enthronement Psalms. So these are songs about how this messianic king is going to be king of the whole world. And this is something that maybe the Jews of Jesus' time had forgotten and maybe the Gentiles didn't know. But if you'll just kind of look, we won't read obviously all of these in, to, in, uh, in completion, but let's read a little starting in Psalm 95, the, I don't know, the first few. Oh, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. It is all the king's. Now, if we have an idea, if the Jews of Jesus time had an idea that he was a local God, they were wrong. If they are offended by the people from Tyre and Sidon being with them, they have forgotten Psalm 95. Keep going. Uh, look at Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. And I wonder if Luke wants to remind people, if you are saying, sing to the Lord, everybody in this New Jersey-shaped plot of land, that you have missed the grandeur of God. But rather, the messianic expectation what, they were, what, what the, the ancient Hebrews believed about the Messiah is that he would be the king of the whole earth. All right, keep going because it's fun. 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let many coastlands be glad. That's Tyre and Sidon over on the coast. Look at verse 3 of, of uh, Psalm 98, and I'll make this the last one. You get the point. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. He is the king of them and us. He is the king everywhere you go. And the scene that Luke is setting here for the Sermon on the Plain, for, the, for Jesus defining the reality of what it means to be in the kingdom of God, one of Luke's big ideas is that this is available for everybody. That Jesus is the king of the person that irritates you the most. That Jesus is the king of the person that has the most opposite views on any topic is you. They are sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
for him to define reality for them as well. And invite you both to follow him in the kingdom, but neither of you with any pride at all. So, make no mistake, the kingdom is growing. Jesus' power is not growing. It is eternal. It always was. As Jesus stands, gathered by this great multitude of oddballs, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, though cloaked in human flesh. So with a sense of reverence, with awe, with humility, let's listen to the king define the reality of life in the kingdom of God. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, so he's talking to his disciples, but in the view, in the hearing of the whole multitude, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their father did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep, mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Wow, that hurt my feelings. Yeah, that, 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 that was divisive. That was... That was offensive as the king of kings and lord of lords defines reality for us this is the truth that's difficult stuff how should we view this what should we think it's downright unsettling i wonder if you were like me and your first reaction is something like i just can't be right it's got to tell us what it means in greek it's gotta it's gotta mean something else right I can get my head around Matthew's version of it. That's why when you ask somebody what the Beatitudes are, we, we tend to go to Matthew. A blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, yeah. Poor in spirit, I can do. I can, I can roll with that. I, I can convince myself I'm that. Blessed, I can even admire the poor in spirit, which I think you're misunderstanding what poor in spirit means if you admire the poor in spirit. But, um, but just blessed are the poor, the empty. What on earth could this possibly be talking about? I can swallow poor in spirit, but this makes me feel accused. I feel downright picked on as I read this. Or I feel like I should justify myself or distance myself, kind of do this and go, yeah, but they're, they're richer people. I mean, I'm not. I'm not rich. Man, each one of our spice racks would make us the richest Roman. That, you know what I mean? Like We might have to have some humility as we as we explore this. We might go, hey, I'm, I'm not rich compared to other people or, or you know, uh, it's, there's got to be something else here. How can I make this where I can feel good leaving church today? Grant, give me something. And I want to do my, ex- my best to explain what's going on here. And, and there's some context that is going to help. But look, if there's a place for us to be offended by the words of Jesus, let's not try to be not offended. Are you with me? If the words of the king, our Messiah, God himself, cut us a little, let's say thank you. Let's say, yeah, 
If I, am, if I have a different perspective than Jesus, it's probably not his problem. The tomb is empty. Denying ourselves, sacrificing, following Jesus, we are already convinced that this is the best life, right? So, let's learn about the kingdom of God from the king. Remember, these people are here because they had been healed they had witnessed miracles, and now it's time to listen. And that's why I'm here too, because Jesus has saved my soul. Because the tomb is empty. Because I too have become convinced that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So he can tell me how to live. I'm looking forward to him telling me how to live. I would hate for us to miss the chance to grow because we're spending our time figuring out why this doesn't apply to us. Are you with me? Like, let's have humility and let's think about it. So here's what we're allowed to do as we read this, all right? We're not allowed to like try to justify ourselves and pretend Jesus didn't say stuff and just go, I'll just read Matthew and leave it there. But here's what we are allowed to do. We're allowed to think about it contextually. In fact, we should think about it contextually. And, and as Jesus is saying these words, we might misunderstand what blessed and what woe means. You know, we, if, if you are you know, you say, wow, what a blessing. It means that you are being given a gift and a woe sounds like a curse. It sounds like Jesus is saying, you I like and you I don't like, right? You are the good guys and you are the bad guys. But that's not really what blessing and woe means as Jesus is saying it. It's, it's more like a fortunate state and a state of peril. It's more like saying, you guys are, are on a good path. You guys are in danger and you don't know it. That's what blessedness, that's what woe means. Woe is more of a warning. Blessedness is more of a congratulations. Congratulations if you're poor. The kingdom of God's all you got. It's not a bad thing. If you're empty now and all you're hanging on to is sitting here listening to my words, man, you're on the right path. But you guys who don't need me, you guys who think that, you know, you've got the world so dialed in that um, religion or faith or something could be like a side part of your life, you're in danger. There's woe here. It's, it, you should be afraid of the future. You know, I, I remember, it, it, it reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain gets really mad and God warns Cain and goes, look, if you do well, won't you be fine? It's not a, hey, you jerk I don't like you anymore. No, rather it's, hey, you're on a path that leads to destruction. It's answering the question, who's doing okay? And you know, truthfully, if I'm in peril, I want to know it. So we might think about what it means to be poor and rich too. And isn't it funny, we, like, um, all, we, would, we would maybe start to go, man, I don't know if rich applies to me, but the rest of them, full, I'm full. I actively try to eat less all the time. And this is still what's happening. <laughs> I'm full. It applies to me. People speak well of you? Yeah, I, yeah, I've got friends. So even if you think, man, we need to get our head around rich and poor, let's also not pretend it doesn't apply to us. But, but rich and poor might... Uh, mean something a little different. Let's, uh, let's look at that. It's less about the accumulation of material possessions. You know, our Western idea about like changing our station, like anybody who works hard enough, gets the right education, has a good idea, can, can get more stuff, you know, can like buy a boat eventually, or I don't know what it would be, buy enough guitars to finally hang all in, all, them on the wall in every house, which I'm sure is your goal as it is mine. Um, 
but um, if it is, you could come help lead worship. Come on. Um, but that, this, like, uh, that idea of like rich or wealth is a little different than an ancient Hebrew idea. Their idea had more to do with powers, like where you were born. How much did you have the chance to like, have access to the good things in life? In our culture, wealth is less tied to situation where we started. It's more, um, although that's still significant, it's, it's more under the assumption that anybody with a good enough idea and effort can become rich and powerful. That, that was, that's a brand new idea in the world. That was not true then. It's more than amount of stuff accumulated. It is more, it has something more to do like the rich are those who have access to temporal happiness. Temporal happiness. Not just money, but maybe good looking. Do people who are better looking have more access to happiness in the world? What about smart? People who are, have a higher IQ have access to, I think actually higher the IQ, the more miserable you are. It's just life is so complicated. <laughs> what about being funny? Funny people have access to the good life a little more. We still use this word rich like this some, although it's not the first thing that comes to our mind. But maybe you have thought, man, four kids and a wonderful wife gathered around the table. Yeah, I'm not a wealthy man, but I'm rich. It's like that. Like, do you have what you think you need to have access to the good things in life? And even some of the things, like we might think, oh yeah, we're Christians, we know that we're not supposed to chase after uh, monetary wealth, but the truth that Jesus is trying to say is much deeper than that. You're not supposed to pursue anything as the ultimate means to satisfaction and, and, and love and peace and joy except for him. You can be idolater with money, but you can be an idolater with your family too. And poor or those who would have less access to, to temporal happiness. And you know, we have some understanding of this too. It doesn't matter how much is in your bank account, you're one illness away from a difficult life. It doesn't matter how many you know, luxury cars and sport bikes are in the garage. You're one like contentious family relationship to go, on, man, I'd give all this away just to have peace in this relationship or whatever. So if you're thinking like that, you're more thinking in terms of Jesus saying, look, this, this is what I'm talking about. If you have everything you need and feel like your happiness is secure right now and you don't have this desperate need, well, you're in danger. There's something about the future that you need to be worried about. Where if you call yourself poor now, you go, I don't have access to happiness well, then you're at the right spot. This was a personal message. Along with an understanding of poor and rich, we need to remember that this is a personal message to particular people. Jesus isn't, this isn't, you know, Jesus' like doctoral thesis. He's not preaching this to the internet. Like he has an actual crowd in front of him made up of actual people. The people are this. Just really quickly, let's remind ourselves. Some of the people are powerful religious leaders. They know that the kingdom of God is theirs. Not only do they know that the kingdom of God is theirs, but they think they're in control of it. And they need to be told, man, if, if you think you've got everything you need, man, you're in a position of woe. 
If this is about you, if you think that you have the control, that you are the one who has access to happiness, to the good life on your own, there is, there's trouble for you in the future. Then there's also social outsiders, societal outsiders in the, in the crowd who are just beginning literally to walk around with Jesus and they need to know exactly what it is they've left everything for. Jesus, tell me, what is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is available to them, but very conditionally the way they grew up. They're like, yeah, I guess the kingdom of God is available to me, but I got to go through those guys. I got to go through the priests. I got to go through the Pharisees. I got I to do everything their way. And they, they're always telling me that I messed up and that I'm unclean and that, that I'm unacceptable before God. So the kingdom of God is sort of available to them, but man, it is so conditional. And then there's these folks who just showed up. Hey, I'm from Tyre. My leg hurts. Looking for some healing. Tell me about it. What's going on? And for the first time, They're learning that there's more to the kingdom of God than just being healed of a physical ailment. So it might be hard for us to place ourselves in one of those spots or another, but then again, maybe maybe it's pretty easy for us to say, I have a little of all that in me. But we need to understand this is good news for everybody. This is also a good warning for everybody. And maybe we could hear these words from Jesus like that today as well. Instead of going, well, which category am I in? I'm not really rich. No, I was hungry three weeks ago. I'm not full. Like instead of justifying ourselves, maybe we could receive this as the good promise it is and also receive it as the good warning it is. If you think that what you have in this life is the means to happiness, woe to you. You're in trouble. Come correct. Turn. Repent follow Jesus. If you are saying the world has not treated me well and I, I do not have what I need to be happy and I can't see that I ever would and I just don't feel like I have access to the things everywhere. Jesus is my only hope. Man, congratulations. So we can think about it contextually. We could also think about it literarily. We could look at it like literature and I'll try to go quickly, but we could admire the symmetry of these two paths, these two kinds of people that Luke, lay, that Luke lays out. Isn't it beautiful? Poor and rich, these couplets. Poor and rich, hungry and full. Those who mourn and those who laugh. Those are who reviled and those who others speak well of them. You see that Luke wants us to see very clearly these two different philosophies in life. And these are not new philosophies. It didn't begin in the time of Jesus, and they certainly haven't gone anywhere. It's the choice that Adam and Eve had to make in the garden. Trust God for everything or don't. It's the choice that Job had to make. Yeah, your life stinks. Curse God and die or just hang on. It's the kind of choice that David is making as he writes the 23rd Psalm and goes, am I the the big dog? Am I the shepherd of Israel? No, the Lord is my shepherd. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Which are you? Not only are there these two different philosophies that are being presented to us, but there's two different times that are being presented to us. There is a decidedly eschatological perspective in the Beatitudes. That's a very nerdy sentence. If, if you've got some friends you want to impress, you say, how was church? You could go, we discussed the decidedly eschatological view of the Beatitudes. 
But eschatology is just the things to do at the end. It's just the time coming when Jesus wraps everything up and the kingdom of God is all we see. And you see both of these times, the now and the not yet, clearly here in Jesus' words. He says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. You could have it right now. You don't have to live as an outsider to God anymore. You could be in the kingdom of God right now. And then he goes and he says, blessed are you who are hungry for you shall be satisfied. Yeah, hunger might be part of your life right now. But there's going to come a time when you're satisfied. Those who weep, you shall laugh. There's going to come a time. Hang on, cling to Jesus. And then, very clearly, those of you who are hated, excluded, reviled, in that day, man, in the day of the Lord, as Jesus wraps everything up, you will leap for joy. Great will your reward be in heaven. It really, again, these two philosophies, these two, I'm going to find happiness in the here and now, or I'm going to find happiness in the kingdom of God, they bear out in the future in different, in different destinies, in different realities. Moreover, if we're paying close attention, we'll notice that this is not instruction to be poor, empty, reviled, but rather it is good news delivered to the poor. So in the scriptures, poverty is not the preferred state of the believer, Rather, those whose life situation is that their only chance at happiness is the hope of the kingdom of God are in a good spot. Can I say that again? Those whose only hope for happiness is the reality of the kingdom of God, is Jesus, are in a good spot. The future is going to be fine. But for those of us living in a culture where like, look, let's be honest, even if we think I'm such a mature Christian person that, that filled and wealth and whatever is no longer a temptation for me, we could at least admit that that's where we, that, that when we were young fish, that was the water we were swimming in. This is the world around us. And so it would be good for us to be mindful of that and to ask ourselves right now, to search our own hearts and go, what am I hoping for? Where is my source of happiness? What would make my life better? You know, it reminds me of what Paul said to Timothy, his friend. He said, he did not say money is the root of all evil, although that's what gets knitted on pillows more. Rather, rather he said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But we live in a culture that's inviting us to not just love money, but love ourselves. Love being full. Love being popular. Love it when our name is not reviled for the name of Jesus, but rather when people speak well of us. Like, I want likes. I want followers. I want little bits of dopamine coming into my brain every time somebody watches a YouTube video. You know what I'm talking about? In Jesus' day, maybe it was more a problem for the wealthy to fall temptation to love money but I, than it was the poor because they couldn't change their station as easily as we can. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I know plenty of poor people who love money. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe it's just that Biggie was right. More money, more problems. I actually wrote that down. <laughs> uh, doofus. <laughs> You know, we can think about it in light of other biblical passages. 
It'll help us feel a little bit better. We'll go, hey, there's rich people in the Old Testament. Abraham's wealthy. Joseph rises to prominence politically. In the New Testament, we look at Joseph of Arimathea. We look at Nicodemus. But here's what we can't do. We can import all of that context, all of that understanding, all of that, and go, okay, maybe it's, it's not just that Jesus is mad at me because I can pay the bills. Jesus is not mad at you because you can pay the bills. But here's what we can't do is pretend Jesus didn't say it. To walk out and not wrestle with it. Again, I'm very happy to do away with the misconception that following Jesus makes you rich or following Jesus makes you poor or that in the kingdom of God, rich people or poor people are preferred. In fact, this is the whole Lucan reversal that we're talking about the whole time. Luke wants us over and over to know in the kingdom of God, it just doesn't matter. So I'm happy to do away with misconceptions like that, but I'm not sure I want to walk away from the Beatitudes with having, without having all of my ideas about what the good life really is. I want to be questioned. I want to be challenged. Not to say am I allowed to have as much stuff as I have, but I want to be challenged to say, where is my source of joy? In what is my hope? In what is my hope of peace. I don't want to just decide this isn't for me. Rather, I want to again come to the place where I can say, Jesus is my all in all. My joy is in him. Everything I do is worship. I am not living in peril, placing my happiness on things that won't last, but rather placing my happiness in the hands of the king. I'm a citizen of heaven. My king has defined reality for me. I can't love other stuff in him. I can't pursue happiness in everything else in him. If I am looking around and saying the bills are paid and I'm full, so I must not have any problems. I'm in peril as I sit and go, even though life is sometimes difficult, I have joy in Jesus. I'm on the right track. And there's reward eventually. So, Where are you in the crowd? This would be a great time for all of us. Again, just be offended a little bit. If we're we're cut by Jesus' words, then let's let's wrestle with it. Probably, I'm just going to speak for myself. I've never once read this, thought about this kind of situation and gone, you know what, Grant? You have no idols. Everything's going really great. It's more just about what is it right now that's cropped its head, that's popped its head up that is challenging my love for Jesus. So maybe we could just take a minute. We could bow our heads and we could just say, Jesus, I agree with you. I don't want to be in peril. I want to be headed towards the good life in the kingdom of heaven. Search your heart now. Let's go to him. I'll pray for us and close us in a second.